Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is establishing a clear direction. I have a terrific expert today who will share her thoughts, Teresa Basmore. Teresa Basmore was the former president of Radiant Mortgage Insurance. In addition to that, she is on the current board of T. Rowe Price Mutual Funds, and she's on several other boards. I'm thrilled to have Teresa with us today. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Pat. Well, this is really a, a key topic, but before we get into it, let's kind of talk about how did you get into managing and what was the best advice that you ever received on the topic? Because you've managed lots of firms and lots of companies. Well, it's great to be, first of all, with you today. And the first time I really started managing was after I got into mortgage banking. And uh, my first position was working for the Prudential when it was the third largest mortgage originator. And after being in the legal department for a couple of years, I started managing other lawyers. But one of the things that I found to be most helpful is to make sure, and we're talking about a clear direction, making sure everyone understands what the direction is and is on board with it because you can't manage people in a way that where you expect them to do everything exactly the way you would. Now, there might be some circumstances where doing something a specific way is critical, but most people have different ways of approaching things, and some of those could actually be better than the way you might have approached them. So what I found is that it's important to make sure that you set clear direction, make sure what the objective is, and then allow people to flourish in their own way and give them feedback along the way. So what was the best advice when you leaped into managing lawyers, which is obviously not easy? What was the best advice you really received on this topic? You know, I don't think it's any different, Pat. I think managing lawyers is no different than managing anybody else, right? Because everyone is interested in doing a great job. Everyone is interested in furthering their career. I think the one thing, though, that I would say is that my approach as a lawyer has been very much to look for a way to accomplish the goals of the firm. And I remember one of my clients, I'll call it, in one of the companies I worked for said to me, you don't always say no. And I had to think about that for a second because lawyers, unfortunately, often have a uh, reputation for just looking for the way to say no. And my approach has always been to understand more about what it is that the person I'm talking to or the company wants to accomplish. Because often, even if the idea they have in terms of how to approach it doesn't quite work from a legal framework, there's usually another way to do it that will work. And sometimes the new way after some brainstorming could be a better way for the business than what the original idea was. So I always encourage the lawyers that worked for me 
to be open to looking for a way to help the business accomplish what they were trying to do. And in, and in doing that, what I also found was in the few cases where there just wasn't a way to do it, people trusted that we had actually tried to figure out a way to do it before we had to say no. So that's sort of the biggest thing I would say about managing lawyers. Well, when you look at it, when you first started managing, obviously with your law degree, certainly you like to read books. I mean, were there books that were giving you direction on this topic? Was that something that was important to you or was this just trial and error for you? Some trial and error, but also talking to people who I thought were good managers, that I thought were good leaders, having great mentors along the way. I learned a lot from those folks. Uh, I also tried to focus on doing some reading in, you know, whether they were books or articles, maybe in the Harvard Business Review or other types of, of journals about ways to lead and ways to manage. So kind of all of those things, but you do learn over time how to do a better job and and also being open to feedback, right, about how you're managing. One of the things that we did at Radiant was to do employee engagement surveys. And I found those to be really helpful. I'm really proud of the fact that we had excellent employee engagement scores. When you talk to people who are experts in management, they always say that it's more about the immediate manager. So you have to make sure that if you're leading an organization, that management is doing the right things for their employees and that you're giving them the right support and training to do that. Those things have always been helpful. And look, I'm a, I'm a continuous learner. I That just is who I am. I always like to challenge myself. So I constantly find myself reading different things about how to be a better leader. Well, that's interesting. Any book in particular that you would recommend for our listeners? I can't think of anything off the top of my head, except I really do like some of the Harvard Business Review articles. You know, there was one article that was few, maybe three years ago, two and a half years ago, about launching successful leaders and how to make sure that you're helping people reach their their top abilities. I found a lot of good articles in that regard. There was another book about culture that is really a terrific book because, as we all know, culture is so critical. So you can have a great strategy. You can think you have all the right pieces in place. You can have great technology. But if you don't have a good culture that embraces the, the where you're trying to go and where people are willing to work with each other and collaborate, then you can't really achieve your vision, your mission, your strategy. And so that that book was really helpful, I thought. And that came out a couple of years ago. 
that is definitely an important topic. And I would say for our listeners that I would highly recommend uh, belonging to the Harvard Business Review. Uh, it's $99 a year and the articles are online, plus they physically send you a magazine. So I'm there with you on that one, Teresa. I think they, they do a wonderful job that's really practical information in a lot of ways. So when you look at your career, what was your greatest victory and what was maybe the greatest lesson that you learned in your own career? Well, I'd have to say that the greatest victory for me was becoming the president of the mortgage business at Radian and at a time where we were in the midst of the, the, the Great Recession, right? The, the mortgage insurance business itself was struggling. The profitability issues were there. And we had to focus on survival. But at the same time, we were able to grow the business. And so coming out of that, we were in a position where we not only had become a profitable business, right, where we were writing business that was sustainable, insuring loans that were sustainable for the home buyers, but we were also growing the clientele we had. We were working with not only the large banks, but also the community banks and the credit unions and the non-bank mortgage companies, independent mortgage banks. And we grew our market share. And that is something that is typically, if you're in a survival mode, most people aren't able to grow at the same time. And so I'm particularly proud of that. And so I learned that it is doable. You just have to be realistic about the risks that you have and the threats that you have and make sure you put plans in place to deal with those or actions in place to deal with those. But at the same time, you can motivate your sales team to focus on interacting with customers and being partners with customers to grow the business, which will help both you and the customer. So when you look at this establishing a clear direction, when you think about that, and especially what you described is that the company was in a survivor mode and you had to make some tough decisions. How did you do that? And what was that process looking like for you? And how did you convey a new direction, which if I remember correctly, there were obviously a lot of changes being done at that MI company. Talk about that for a little bit. Well, one of the things that I learned, um, Ashley, a little bit even earlier in my career than when I joined Radiant was the importance of strategy. And I was involved in a new venture. And as you can imagine, you're trying to do all these different things. You're trying to figure out how to grow the business. You're trying to figure out what projects need to be done. And at times, people are sort of running in different directions, mm -hmm. right? And you don't, you're necessarily getting things accomplished in the time frame that you want it to. But yet, what I found was that if you get all the right people in the room and come up with what your mission and vision are, 
right? So you have a clear view on that. What are you trying to accomplish? And then you say, okay, what are the things that we need to do? And, and it's a sort of a, a open brainstorming session. And that's, and that's what we did. We did it more than once while I was at, at Radiant. And we came up with a whole list of things. And then we used a technique that I actually learned from someone many years ago in a nonprofit board setup, but someone who had been doing strategy consulting for many years. And it was called Spin the Dime. And other people have different techniques for this, but in Spin the Dime, you essentially give each person who's involved in that session a dime to spin on whatever ideas are on the on the board. And if you love one idea, you think this is the idea that's going to catapult the company and the mission, you can spend your whole dime on it. But most people split it up, right? They might sure. spend three cents this one. But what every time I've done this, and I've done this at more than one company for some nonprofits, there are always three to five initiatives that come up to the top. And when I say come up to the top, the number of votes they've gotten is far above the rest. Now, that doesn't mean that some of the rest you won't do, but it does mean that you all can come together on what the initiatives are that you think are going to advance the company. And then you can provide clear direction to everyone else in the company about those initiatives and make sure that everyone knows those are the initiatives they should be spending the most time on and the most focus on moving forward. And so communication about it, we used to have town halls where we would talk about the strategy. And we would do that maybe three times a year, talk about the strategy. You know, I think often we also think that once we've communicated a strategy, everybody's going to remember it. Uh But I've learned that you have to continue communicating about what the strategy is. And to the extent that initiatives change or things uh, change a little bit, you need to communicate that as well in terms of what's going on. And when you think about kind of the time we were going through in the in the Great Recession, and now where we are as we're trying to adapt to new working environments, issues with business related to the going through this this pandemic. The other thing that I learned and that we started using while I was at Radiant was scenario planning. Because you think you have a view of what the world is going to be like and where you want to go. But in times of uncertainty, you you might have something that's in those assumptions that you made that might change. And that could change what you would do, what your strategy is. So we spent time on what those other scenarios could be and how would we change our strategy or would we change our strategy in those cases? And if we would, how do we see the signals in the economy, 
uh, in the business community that would help us know that that change is coming. So how many people were involved with these strategy sessions and what happened, even if they were asked to contribute a dime, that some of them did not want to do it at all, even though the group has decided that? Talk about that. Well, you know, first of all, there usually were about 20 people or so in these and I was very focused on making sure that all of the areas were represented, right, mm-hmm. in the group. So if, if let's say you're working on the overall strategy, right, you want to make sure, obviously, sales is in the room, that ops is in the room. But you also want to make sure that risk is in the room, right, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. finance is in the room, that HR is in the room. So the reality is that I didn't have that issue of people not wanting to participate because mm-hmm. I made sure everyone had a seat at the table, mm-hmm. right? And there was discussion about what was on the list, but they could also see what was being uh, sort of voted on in terms of what was rising to the top. And I also didn't really see situations where people from some of the maybe support areas, oh, and by the way, Wiggle was included, of course, a lot of times they had a similar view about what we should be working on. So I never really saw a dichotomy between, say, the people in sales or the people in operations mm-hmm. being very different from the view that finance might have or that HR might have. So did you think that because it was the great recession that because people were people more compliant to agree because they did see their backs up against the wall versus when you have times for instance for this year the mortgage business has done fantastic and so I don't think there's a lot of planning going on. We got busiest when we were in a down cycle and the reason because this business is a cyclical business right and so when your point when things are great and things are busy, everyone's so busy getting the business done that they're not focused on new opportunities or new programs and products and, and, and so forth. And then as soon as things you know go in the opposite direction, now everyone has ideas that <laughs> they want to try to come up with. So that's why I used to say it was cyclical for the support areas, right? Because as soon as those ideas started percolating, that that became the more legally intensive work. What what I I don't know that I would say people become more compliant. I just think that you you know you have to think about the resources. So when you know when you're thinking about the strategy, there are people who do strategy and I call it they do they do this beautiful strategy document and they sit it on a shelf. And it, it has no meaning. When I think about strategy, I think about saying, okay, here's what we want to focus on. We all understand the why and what we think it's going to do in terms of helping us move the business forward. We also have to think about the time frame. When do we get these things done? And how do we monitor whether we're getting them done? And what about human resources? And talent. Do we have the right folks? Do we need more people? 
how do we allocate our resources? When things are very busy the way they are right now, I think you have to step back a little bit because you may find yourself in a situation where some of the human resources that you were going to use, some of that talent has to be deployed to get the businesses coming through the door done. But usually, they're still in the ability to move some of these other initiatives forward. And if you identify what the most important ones are, usually you can still kind of keep them moving. And that becomes important, right? Because once the, you're back out of the cycle, if you've been able to keep those important initiatives going, then they're going to be ready when you're coming out of the cycle instead of trying to start them up again. That's a great point. Well, time has flown by. What would be a couple things that you would suggest for our listeners uh, regarding establishing a clear direction? Well, I think, first of all, making sure that you understand what your mission is, what your vision is. And, and I think about that in terms of how do you want to differentiate your company? How do you want other people to see it? Do you want to be top market share, excellent customer service, the best partner in this business to helping to increase home ownership? How do you want to think about that? Second, developing that clear strategy that supports the mission, but be very focused on figuring out what those initiatives are helping people understand how they support those initiatives and making sure you're monitoring them going forward so that you have great execution. We didn't talk about this, but making sure that incentives are aligned with achieving the strategy. And then the last thing is some scenario planning so that you understand what your assumptions are behind your strategy. And if some of those assumptions change. How would you change your strategy, what you're doing going forward? Well, that's all great advice. And I really want to thank you, Teresa, for sharing it today with our, our listeners. And certainly I want everyone to subscribe to where you listen to your podcasts and rate today's episodes. You certainly can sign up for my weekly sales tips at www.patsherlock.com. Thanks so much, Teresa. Oh, thanks, Pat. It was it was a great joy talking to you today.